In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground His body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the graves He rose again. And as He stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am His and He is mine. Bought with the precious blood of Christ. We sing this song on a regular basis in here. And one of the reasons why is because in this song, we are reminded that in Christ, there is help, healing, hope, and life. In Christ alone, there is forgiveness and salvation. We, we learn those truths in this song. We learn those truths in the songs we've been singing this morning. And we learn these truths all throughout God's Word. And we will learn these truths this morning in our text in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Luke chapter 8. In this passage, we have one main story a story within a story, and we have four parts, four scenes to this story and this story within a story. In each part or scene, we learn key truths about the person and work of Jesus Christ that are important for us to know and believe. In this passage, Jesus encounters a Jewish leader with a sick daughter, a sick and desperate woman, messengers concerning the Jewish leader's sick daughter, and skeptics in the Jewish leader's home. And in each of these four scenes, I want to highlight for you man's inability in the face of tragedy and Christ's capability in the face of tragedy. Luke 8, 40-56. In this passage, we learn that in Christ there is help for us. In Christ there is healing for us. In Christ there is hope for us. And in Christ there is life. For us. First, notice in Christ there is help for us. Look with me at Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 42. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. So Jesus returns from Gentile country. Remember in the past two messages, we've looked at Jesus' journey across the lake from Jewish territory into Gentile territory. While out on the lake, there is a windstorm and Jesus calms the storm 
with the word. Then he makes his way into Gentile territory and there they encounter a man with many demons living in the tombs. And Jesus casts those demons out and, and, and he releases that man from being enslaved to demons and makes him his disciple. At the end of the story, he's sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus ends up sending him back to his territory to be his witness, to be his missionary. So, so a lot has gone on and he returns back Home And when he does, there is a warm welcome for Jesus. We're told in verse 40, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. But he is also met with some sad news. A Jewish leader meets him and shares with him about his 12-year-old daughter who is dying. Can you imagine? Not just any man. This, man, this man's name is Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. Something we have learned about with many of the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day is that, one, they were not a fan of Jesus. They did not support his ministry. Many of them were trying to live their lives for God in their own strength. We, we learn from Jesus in John 5, 39, that many of them failed to see that the scriptures were meant to bring them to the end of themselves and point them toward their need for a savior. Instead, they were looking at the scriptures thinking that in the scriptures were the key to, to live a righteous life in their own strength and gain eternal life through their own works. We don't know much about Jairus other than what we have here, but this might have been the case with Jairus up to a point. When his daughter, however, is on the verge of death, his great love for her in fear of losing her leads him to the feet of Jesus. There is nothing at this point that outward piety can do for him. Empty religious devotion will get him nowhere. There is no help anyone in the synagogue can provide for him. This man needs help from the author of life, the giver and sustainer of life, Jesus Christ. He has no doubt heard of Jesus and his mighty works that he has performed. Maybe he witnessed it firsthand during his ministry in Galilee. Remember we learned that, that, that Jesus at one time he cast a demon out of a man in the synagogue during his ministry in, in Galilee. Maybe Jairus was in this certain synagogue and he witnessed this firsthand. We, we don't know for sure. What we do know is that this man comes before Jesus and in faith falls at his feet and implores him to come to his house and come to the aid of his daughter. This man is desperate. He has not found help in any other place by any other person. He seeks Christ alone for help. Folks, we are all in need of help. Not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually. God tells us in his word that we have been conceived in sin. We are in a helpless and hopeless state. And the payment for our sin condition is death. And there is nothing we can do about that in our own strength. Nothing we can do to change matters. We need the help of Christ alone. And he came for this reason. And we learn from God's word that he will save all who respond to him as Jairus does here. 
All who fall at his feet and look to Christ alone in faith for help and healing, trusting in him alone for salvation will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in Christ alone, this kind of help is found. Notice the second scene. The story within the story. In verses 42 through 48. Jesus responds to Jairus by heading towards Jairus' home to visit his daughter. And as he travels, he has another encounter with a desperate and sickly woman. And in this encounter, we learn point number two, in Christ there is healing for us. Look at verse 42. As Jesus went to Jairus' home, The people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, that's Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So here we have the story within the story of Jairus and his daughter. And notice the similarities. We are told here that as Christ went to Jairus' home, people are are pressing in on him. I picture the scene sort of being like the the scene you see when a, uh, a coach wins a national championship or a, or a Super Bowl. He's kind of weaving in and out of the press and the crowd that, that, that floods the field to make his way to the locker room. This is what I, what I picture it was like for Jesus, trying to make his way through this crowd to get to Jairus' home. He's trying to make it his way through. And as people are pressing in on him, a woman with the discharge of blood approaches Jesus. Remember, Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. She's dying. This woman, we learn, she has been sick as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She, like Jairus, is desperate. She has exhausted all of her resources trying to be healed. Notice man's inability. We're told she spent all of her living on physicians and could be healed by no one. Like Jairus, no one can help this woman. No one but Jesus. She, like Jairus, comes to Jesus and does something that would have caused all the Jewish readers in Luke's day to gasp. We're told she touched Jesus. You know why this would have caused them to gasp? Because they were told very clearly by God in His Word, Numbers 5, 1-4, look at it up on the screen. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp. 
that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp. As the Lord said to Moses, so the people of Israel did. Now, while certain individuals were cut off for a time because of these discharges and they came because they, these discharges came and went, this woman's did not. Twelve years and counting. She, she's desperate. She's found no release, no help. So she comes and touches Jesus. Again, causing the Jewish readers in Luke's day to squirm because they, they had taught that they had been taught that encountering someone like this woman made one ceremonially unclean. And think about this. In their minds, of all the people who needed to remain undefiled, who in their minds do you think would have been top of the list? The Messiah, right? But, but here's what they failed to realize. When Christ encounters the unclean, the unclean does not make him who is clean unclean, but when Christ encounters the unclean, he who is unclean becomes completely clean. Now that'll preach. That's what happens. When this woman, who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, touches the fringe of Jesus' garment, we're told immediately her discharge of blood ceased. She's unclean, encounters Jesus, is made completely clean. Notice that while this work takes place without many knowing, Jesus chooses to highlight this work. We're told in verse 45, And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Meaning, how, how can we know? You know, probably a bunch of people, right? But, but Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she knew what Jesus was talking about. She knew she had been found out because now she had been healed. She came trembling and falling before him just like Jairus in the previous scene. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Christ makes her a witness right then and there in the crowd of people. This woman who had exhausted all of her resources on doctors trying to find healing. You know anybody like that? We know stories like that, don't we? She is now proclaiming before this multitude of people in Christ alone, have I found it. And notice what Jesus highlights in verse 48. Look at it with me. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So good. What saved this woman? Her faith. She is healed by her faith alone in Christ alone. She comes to Jesus, believes on Him, trusts in Him, grabs hold of Him, and is healed by Him. Her faith in Christ alone has made her well. This unclean woman encounters the completely clean Messiah, and the completely clean Messiah makes this unclean woman completely 
clean. And, and folks, Christ works in the exact same way today when it comes to salvation. When unclean sinners fall before the perfectly clean Savior, the perfectly clean Savior makes unclean sinners perfectly clean. Here's the catch. For this to happen, you must first come to the realization that you're unclean. See, we got a problem. We don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We need the scales to fall from our eyes. You must see yourself as God sees you, unclean, a sinner, separated from and condemned by Him. And you must go from that place, from where you are, to Jesus and fall before Him and give your life up and over to Him. If you're not trusting in Christ for salvation, you are unclean. Whether you think you are or not, you are unclean, sick, dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2. Sinners separated from and set against God. Good news is Jesus has come to heal those who forsake their sin and believe on Him. That's the, that's the reason for Christmas. Do you know that? It's why Christ came. We're going to talk about the next couple of weeks in our Christmas series that sin is the reason for the season. Christ came because we're sinners, condemned, in need of rescue. The fact that He came shows how sinful we are and how in need we are. Christ has come to heal those who forsake their sin and believe on Him. If you have not, today's the day to do just that. Give your life over to Him. So in Christ, there is help for us. In Christ, there is healing for us. Point number three, in Christ, there is hope for us. Look at verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Notice again here, man's inability and Christ's capability. While on the way to Jairus' home, Christ gets caught up with this woman who had a 12-year-old ailment, and she has been healed by touching the fringe of Jesus' garment. And while highlighting her faith, while he's still speaking, someone comes and reports to them that Jairus' daughter has died. Notice the man speaks as if these tragic circumstances here are unalterable, that this situation is hopeless. He says to Jairus, your daughter is dead. No need to trouble Jesus any longer. It's all over, Jairus. There's nothing that can be done for her. She's gone. There's nothing anyone can do to change matters. I know I'm adding a lot of words in here, but that's what he's communicating here. Jesus tells Jairus, I can change matters. Believe on me, Jairus. Do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. In me is life, Jairus. In me is hope, Jairus. In me is joy, Jairus. Believers, what, what circumstances are you facing that you think is hopeless? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Listen, are you facing it without fear, trusting in Christ, or are you feeling as if all hope is gone for you? 
Jesus reminds us here that in him we have hope, in him we can rest, knowing that all will ultimately be well, no matter what happens in the here and now. We learned this message in this story. We learned this message when we looked at the miracle of Jesus calming the storm. We we said that Jesus' response to, to our storm may not be the same. While with his disciples in the midst of the storm, he responded by calming their storm. He might allow ours to rage on. We'll learn the moment, spoiler alert, while Christ will bring Jairus' daughter back to life again, he might not respond the same way to your circumstance. Regardless, he is the one that we're to look to and trust in. He is the one we're to, we're to make our request known before. And, and our response to him in our storm is, is to trust in him no matter what. His response to our storm may not be peace be still. Your, your faith has healed you. He or she will be well. But that should not Change your response to not be afraid, but to believe. To not fear, but to trust in Him. However He chooses to save believers, whether in life or in death, Christ's message is the same. Do not fear, believe, know that in me there is life, in me there is hope, in me there is joy. While weeping may tarry for the night, joy comes with the morning. While trials in this life are unavoidable because of sin, all will ultimately be well for my people because of God's amazing grace and love. That's Jesus' message to Jairus. That's God's message to us. So we learn in this passage that in Christ there is help for us, Healing for us, hope for us, and fourth and finally, there is life for us. In Christ, there is life for us. Look at verses 51 through 56. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James. He takes the the inner three disciples with him into the place where Jairus' daughter's body lay and the father and mother of the child verse 52 and all were weeping and mourning for her but he said do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping I love the metaphor used here for death death for those in Christ is sleep Christ has come to remove the sting of death he's he's giving us a little taste of of what's to come. He's foreshadowing the work he's come to do. Verse 53, and they they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So, This is a sad scene that Jesus enters into. and We've seen him in this sort of situation before in Luke when he and his followers travel to Nain. You remember that? And they they intersect with a funeral procession of a widow who had lost her only son. And remember, Jesus approaches that sad scene and brings hope to the hopeless, restores happiness to the hurting life 
to the deceased. And he does a similar work here. Before we look at it, notice one last time here, man's inability to provide hope for this situation and life to this little girl. There is nothing anyone in this house can do to change Jairus's tragic circumstance. Like the outward futile acts of, of religious devotion could not prevent Jairus's daughter from dying and all the money in Galilee and the finest of doctors could not heal the woman with the discharge of blood. None in Jairus's house on this day could bring this 12-year-old girl back to life again. No one except for Jesus. But notice they don't even believe Jesus can. Remember the man reported to, to Jairus that, that Jesus is no longer needed. His daughter has, has died. You don't need Jesus any longer. He believed this teacher can do nothing for you. When, when Jesus tells those in the house that this girl is not dead but sleeping, they laugh at him. They're not newbies to a scene like this. They knew what death looked like. They knew this woman was dead. There's no coming back from that. They, they knew there was nothing anyone could do to change this, and they believed Jesus couldn't do anything either. Oh, how wrong they were. Look at verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Now know, again, that to a Jewish reader of Luke's gospel in this day, that would have caused them to go into shock, probably. Their jaw would have hit the floor hearing this detail for reasons we just read earlier in Numbers. For a Jewish person, there was no greater ritual impurity in Israel than to touch a dead body. It did not mean one day of ritual uncleanness, but seven days and then a very elaborate purification ceremony to follow. So to think that the Messiah might be defiled like that, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. It was unfathomable. But, but we see, once again, like we saw earlier in the story, with the woman with the discharge of blood, the unclean does not make him who is completely clean unclean, but the other way around. Verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, showing she had returned to the land of the living. And her parents were amazed. I imagine so. Jesus has brought life to this little girl again. And restored her to the land of the living. Instead of, instead of defiling himself and being set apart from his people, Jesus brought life to this girl and restored her to her people. That's what Jesus does. Believers, I don't know what... Each and every one of you are going through this morning, but the odds are good with a crowd this size that there are some here this morning in a tough season of life. Let me remind you this morning that the Lord is in your midst. And His message for you is for you to not be afraid, but to believe on Him and know that all will ultimately be well. For those in Him. Amen. That's right. In Christ, 
There is help, healing, hope, and life. God shows these truths to Jairus and to the woman he encounters on the way. On this day, Jairus had experienced the most painful and difficult consequence that that comes as a result of living in this fallen and broken world. The death of a loved one. The death of his his precious 12-year-old daughter. He, He comes to Jesus in need and Jesus shows him compassion and mercy and grace and love. He travels to this man's home to bring life to his dead daughter again. Why does he do this? Because of who Jairus is? Because he's a great and wonderful person? Say no. Or do this. No. Because of who he is. Believers, he did the same for you. While you were dead in sin, God looked upon you, chose you, came to you, and saved you. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Notice what he told the uh, inner circle of witnesses in the home with them. Into verse 56. This is interesting. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now he does this a few times in his earthly ministry. So much so that theologians have a, a name for it. It's what's called the messianic secret. Some scratch their heads at this and they ask, why would Jesus want them to be silent? Doesn't Jesus call for his disciples to be his witnesses, witnesses of his great, great person and work in both word and deed? And the answer to that question is, yes, he does at the appointed time. Timing is everything in Jesus' earthly ministry. And he always does what needs to be done at the perfectly appointed time. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he does not reveal to a lot of people that he is the Messiah. That point is, is driven home by the gospel writers 20 to 30 years after these events. And here's why. Jesus understood that that title was misunderstood. By, by people. They were looking for a Messiah to come who was going to be a political revolutionary, not a suffering servant. They were hoping he would come and release them from Roman rule rather than free them from sin and death. They had a greater need than Roman rule, being freed from them. He didn't want them to get the wrong idea, but instead wanted to be revealed at the, as the promised Messiah at the proper time, and then go to Calvary to show the world what the Father had sent him to do. He also probably knew that crowds gathering and rallying around him as a political savior would, would, would cause trouble with the Roman government for the wrong reasons at the wrong time. Christ also did not want crowds to simply gather for the purpose of being healed from physical ailments, but to look to him and trust in him for spiritual healing, forgiveness of sin, and restoration to God through him. Are you looking to Christ for these reasons? Have you come before him like the man and the woman do in this passage? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you fallen at the feet of Jesus? Have you come to him alone for help and healing and hope and life? Have you come for this reason? He's come for this reason. He's come to give you and me just that. He became one of us 
so that we could be forgiven and restored to God. He lived the life we could not live. He suffered the punishment for our sin, died and rose again so that we, like Jairus' daughter, could be saved from the terrible consequence of sin, not just for a time. She went on to die again, but, but forever. He lived and he, he died and he rose again so that we would have life eternal. Life even though we die, abundant life, eternal life in him. Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I invite you to today. Turn from your sin, believe on Christ, and be saved today. Let's pray together.